Hello and welcome back to Enterprise Linux Security, this time episode 54, where especially me, I'm really good when it comes to these technical topics, but apparently not good with headphones. So um, <laughs> trying to get headphones working before we hit the record button, but uh, hopefully you're having better luck with things than me. How you doing, Joe? All good, Jay. Um, as always, a pleasure. Um, yeah, as long as I don't touch my setup too much, it works. So <laughs> I try not to mess up too much with it. Yeah, that's what you have to do. Once you get something working, whether it's, you know, a server or just a recording computer, just get it working the right way and then just leave it alone. That's what you should do. I should learn the lesson from you on that. Interesting. Interestingly, that's one of the results you went from the topic that we're covering today, getting systems working back again. So <laughs> That's kind of timely, isn't it? Because um, yeah. we're going to talk about ransomware today, um, something we've talked about before, but the, more or less the, the topic is around recovering from that. Hmm. And we're going to give some tips, even touch on prevention as well, just to kind of Give someone an episode that we could point people back to. Hopefully no one ever encounters this issue ever again. And this podcast episode is for naught. But I have a feeling that these things only get worse than before they get better, if they get better. So I think it's important to have an episode that we could point people back to. Absolutely. It's those things that it's good to know. It's even better if you never need that knowledge for anything. But if the proverbial thing hits the fan, then it's good to have that knowledge around. Um, yep. And if nothing else, then these are just good common sense practices that, that we're going to suggest today. Yep. So where do you think we should start? Okay, there are two ways that we can approach this. Um, we either go a bit through the, the prevention the prevention measures and how you should prevent something like this from happening in the first place, or we start from that point where you enter your company and somebody complains that they can't work because there's this weird message on their screen. Um, so it's however you want to take it. I think, I think that's a sound approach. I mean, I, I really feel like that's part of the anxiety of being a sysadmin when someone comes up to you. There's this screen on my computer that I don't... It's like, it could be something simple like a message dialogue to hit OK or something or something more egregious like a RAID controller has failed or, or even worse, um, malware or in this case ransomware, letting someone know that their computer is locked. And that's a pretty scary thing to experience. But if you are empowered with knowledge to recover from it, that's great. But prevention is even better. So I guess we could start there. So um, there, there's different things that you could do when it comes to prevention. But I also don't want to um, make any, anyone think that we're going to um, guide you to become bulletproof. Because you're always just one CVE away from um, you know something happening. Now, I'm not trying to scare anyone, but I also am. I'm just trying to be realistic, actually, because uh, we don't want to give the wrong impression here, but we are going to give you some tips. So we'll start with prevention. And I think one thing that I can, um, in, in, at least on my end, is in no particular order here, but I think versioned backups is definitely something on the top of my list as something that you should have. Because if your only copy, your only backup, you know, is a, it's going to be a target if this is if something like this is in your network. Obviously, they're going to try to go after your backups and shadow copies if you're on Windows and look for file servers. So being able to roll your files back to a um, previously good state is absolutely important to have in place before something like this happens, because that just makes it a little bit easier down the road if you have to do that. And if you're feeling all smug because you don't use Windows and don't rely on shadow copies, some malware strains now go after ZFS snapshots. So 
yeah, right. they got you there too. Yep, and, um, and some people might think that um, I'm a little bit overboard with backup, but I, I don't think that's that's true because it's like I have backups of backups of backups. But the whole goal is that if one thing becomes, you know, gets taken over, then you have to have another thing with, with your files on there. And hopefully no direct connection between the two, you know, USB drives, it's not a backup. As useful as those can be, that's probably one of the first things they're gonna go for. Right after shadow copies, they're gonna go after your, your uh, USB devices, go into your network. But um, to your point though, ZFS snapshots, which provide, you know, the snapshot feature to roll back is, um, you know, a target, obviously. And if there's any way for a threat actor to get a hold of that, um, they're not. there's no honor system here. And that's something we're gonna mention a few times, uh, especially when we talk about how, you know, whether you should pay or not pay. Uh, so I think I kind of gave a spoiler on my opinion on that, but uh, there's no honor system here. So, oh yeah, I'm not gonna go after ZFS because, you know, I wanna give them some room to, no, they don't care. <laughs> no, there isn't, especially because Linux has such a big presence in the, in the enterprise space. Um, they are going to target their ransomware at the, the high value targets, and those will be Linux servers probably. Um, personally, I don't see that backup itself is a prevention mechanism. It's more of a failsafe or a backup in a way. It's not a measure, say, as regular patching, and we're going to keep drumming this up. You should always have your systems patched and up to date if you can't do it because it disturbs whatever you're doing. Look into stuff like live patching. It's a game changer and it lets you patch without disruption. That said, it's not bulletproof. There's no bulletproof solutions. If you miss something, then it's going to happen. Just last week, um, <laughs> Uh, there was a news. There was some news around uh, an airline company there in the U.S. that, uh, for some reason, had a copy of the no-fly list. You know, the terrorist watch list. There, they had it on an open sh Jenkins share, and somebody got a hold of it and all of that. And they said, "Oh, yeah, this was just a test server." There are no test servers. There are no servers that are less important than the others. Um, you need to change that mindset. If you have a server. It's as important as the others. It will have access to other stuff, even if it's not directly there. So any server, you need to patch it. You need it to keep it up to date. It needs to be on your watch list, on your monitoring, on your logging system, regardless if it's important or not at face value. Now, again, in no particular order. And, you know, and to your point, some of these are not going to be specific to ransomware because these are just good ideas in general. But I would say, and this is, kind of what the easier one to do, um, if, especially if you're new on the job, just be familiar with your switches, okay? Ahead of time. You don't wanna be scrambling to try to remember, how do I disable a port again? I forgot what to click on. Obviously, if you're right there in the server room and, and you think something might be impacted, yank the power cable, the network cable, to prevent it, prevent it from spreading further, but being familiar at least, because if some people are you know in a really big building and maybe the data center is a good you know five to seven minute walk away i mean a lot can happen in that amount of time right but if you're at your desk and you have managed switches at least understand okay i think there's something going on here i'm just gonna like click that button and just drop that port and disable it because um it, on your way to the server to on, on power even better if you have a pdu and you can remotely power it off that's even better but at least understand in your ecosystem, your environment, how do you disable something? How, can you power something off in a, in a split second if you need to? Can you drop a network port? And, and understand that first, have the notes if it's complicated on an easy to get to document. So that way, if, 
you, your suspicious is probably better just to err on the side of caution. As a last resort, keep uh, wire cutters in the, the server room. Um, I don't know if you've seen this picture. There's a picture of a bundle of cables in the, in the, um, the protection for the cable. There's this message, um, cut here to activate the firewall. That's absolutely true. If you don't know how to stop a, a switch port, if you don't know how to cut communications, yank the cable. If the, the plug is protected, just cut the cable. And there's no more connection there. Um, Again, that's not as far-fetched as it might seem. When you're scrambling to get stuff offline, that might cross your mind. And if you don't have wire cutters at hand, you're going to regret it. That's a tip of advice for, for future you. Exactly. Um, and, and don't panic either. And Because and, I know you need to do this quickly if you are you know suspicious here. But I also don't want anyone to panic. You just have to make a mental note ahead of time. Okay, if this happens, I need to just... Okay, breathe and do the thing, you know, because you don't want to make any hasty decisions because you don't want to make it worse, obviously. So that's definitely something there as well. Um, some more stuff. Um, going back to your point about backups. A backup is effectively worthless until you test it. Until you know that you can restore something from it, it doesn't matter if you call it a backup or something else. It's just a lump of data. You need to test your back your backups to make sure that they are actually working. The last thing you need is trying to recover a system and the recovery operation failing because the backup is corrupted or didn't finish properly. Um, yep. You need to test the backups. Keep them on a rotation, keep testing the last couple of something every week or something like that. But test the backups. If they're, they're not tested, they're not backups. And they're going to fail exactly when you need them the most. That happens. It really does. And, and yeah, I, I test mine. Um, it, it's really important to do. Um, with ZFS, as we kind of touched on, that's really easy to test because you could create a, a new data set from a snapshot that doesn't overwrite the original, which is always useful. And also to your point, with ZFS becoming more and more popular in Linux, it's going to be more and more of a target. So I definitely agree. Backups are not always going to save you. You do need to test them. You have to have an understanding of what is in reach of what and don't just rely on one backup system. But it, it is a great thing, though, if if um, it if uh, the ransomware does not get to your file server, or even if it does, but it doesn't go to the snapshots, being able to roll everything back will save you time. It does not solve the problem. I want to be clear on that. It it might protect your data, it might prevent you from losing data, but it does not prevent ransomware itself. This is more of something to test ahead of time in the hope that it might be useful if you do need it later. Hopefully you won't, but it's good to know that your backups work. And please don't keep your backups on the main storage. Keep them on a separate storage device, preferably an air gap device. You do the backups and then you disconnect it and leave it there resting or just on a separate media that you can remove and store somewhere else. Um, again, if, it gets rent if you get ransomware on your backups as well, then there's no point in having backups in the first place. Um, another thing that's really important to keep handy, you need a schematic that explains how the different systems work together. You need to know what is affected when one system goes down. You should have that information written down on a paper in an actual diagram somewhere. You need to know the interdependencies between your systems. You need to know that your web server does authentication against your Active Directory or your OpenLDAP directory. You need to know which databases are needed for such and such systems to operate. You need to know who has access to those things. And you need that information when everything is down. So make sure that it's reachable 
in paper, physical form, that tree and keep it stored locked away so that when you need to recover systems, you need to know the interactions that are going to happen. I think that's important what you mentioned in so many ways, even beyond this, because um, it's always important to know what you have on your network. Have an inventory of the virtual machines, even the cloud servers, if you have that in your cloud environment, physical, virtual, whatever, and understand what you have, but also set up something to know what has joined the network. You know, something if, if there's a new MAC address or, or a new IP address that uh, was assigned. If you're responsible for this as a network administrator, I mean, it should go without saying, but it may not. It, you really do need to know that. You need to have an alert. Okay, what is this device that just joined the network? I don't, I don't know about this device and, and need to figure that out. But also having an inventory of network rules and firewall rules to um, know what is able to, to connect to what and test it. You know, don't just say, yeah, this firewall rule, I followed all of the documentation. It, the settings are perfect. I checked it like 10 times. Um, get on a server via SSH, try some sort of connectivity test between a server, you know, server A and server B. If the two are not supposed to talk to each other, make sure that they actually can't talk to each other. Don't just uh, assume your firewall rules are correct. Actually make sure that um, things that should be blocked are actually blocked. And also let somebody know you're doing this if you're not the manager, so that way they don't. And that's probably one of the most important things here, because if you're testing something, you don't want it to look like, um, you know, you're, you're the hacker, in which case you could be walked out the door for the wrong reasons. But um, let somebody know, then do an inventory, uh, do some scanning if it's if it's permissible, just understand what connects to what. So at least you have an understanding of your threat surface, because that'll help you make more intelligent decisions if you face a problem later and communicate with your teams and your team members. Um, when you're looking at the interactions between systems, it's great to actually have the people who use or develop the applications in the room there with you saying, oh, but you forget that we have this new microservice that's running on web server so-and-so that also is required for this and that to work. And you need to make that connection and have that information available. Um, so don't work in a silo. This is the type of stuff that you need to prepare beforehand and it should, you should always have on hand. Um, and it, it's, it takes time to, to do it properly. So you need to get people involved. You need to communicate with different stakeholders. And doing this, if you haven't yet, it's a great place to start in a good cybersecurity posture. At least proper inventory of what you have or not. The bastard operator from hell in me actually tells me that no device joins the network. Nothing else joins. It's what is right now. Nobody else has any privileges to, to connect anything. But that's just me, and my users hate me. So, yeah. That that could be the you know the mentality. Um, put everything on the deny list, and then as needed, you know allow list. <coughs> Excuse me. What's allow list, list, whatever it is, whatever it is. Um, but you know, obviously that annoys people. But you know, they, as they say, convenience is the enemy of security. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but yeah, this is all stuff that uh, that should be prepared beforehand. Keep your patches ready. Know what's in your network. Have your backups tested. Um, know what has, what breaks when some systems go down. And then comes the day that you get that Reddit message or that you can't reach a system for some reason and you look it up, you connect to the system, and there's this ransomware message flashing on the screen. And now is when things really get interesting. So first things first, do not pay the ransom. We cannot stress this enough. Paying the ransom does not guarantee you get the key. Paying the ransom 
only feeds this industry that grows on this and paying the ransom will just mean that other people will know that you pay ransoms and they will just try to infect you the next time around so yeah do not do that please we will cover it we will cover a situation here where if it's absolutely critical you have no backups and you need that information for yesterday for life threatening reasons for somehow then you might consider paying it but under no other circumstances should you and even then only if really really pushed to do it you should never ever even consider it no the, like we like i said earlier you know there's no honor among the among threat actors um the incentive is to be paid there's really no incentive to you know for them to to do the thing they they claim that they're going to do there there's no reason for them to do that they have your money right they don't need to do anything else they uh, they could just walk away and they probably will um, and I, I read an article, and I wonder if it's one of the ones that will be in the show notes, but it mentioned that it used to be the case that you stood a chance of getting your keys back when this was all new, but nowadays you're, the likelihood of you actually getting your data back is far less likely than it's ever been in the past. Like, you, you probably would be better off, and don't do this, but just putting your money in, in the gambling machines if, if gambling is allowed where you live because you probably have a better chance of winning something. Um, but it, you're good, probably going to lose the money, plus you're, you're um, funding these people and giving them an incentive to keep doing this, and, and that's worse for everyone. And the economy around ransomware, it's just so large today. There are kits for sale. You can buy a Lockbit kit and have a ransomware ready to go just by filling a couple of empty fields. Anybody can do it, but not anybody can set up the infrastructure to then send you back the keys after payment. So all they want is to receive their Bitcoins and they vanish. Um, and you're left out with no Bitcoins, with no money and with no keys, and you still have the issue to solve. So again, please do not consider paying the ransom. Now, what are your priorities when something like this happens? From my experience, the first thing that you should do is stop everything. Stop communications with the outside. You haven't identified yet the, the malware strain. You don't know how it operates. So you need to interrupt any command and control uh, communications that are happening. You you want to do this at the, the, outside, at the outside link, but also between systems. Um, at the outside link, to immediately cut off any command and control communications that might happen to prevent the hackers from noticing that you're taking down systems and from trying to move laterally on your network. But you also want to prevent them from exfiltrating data at the last minute. So immediately cut off access from the outside and cut off access between systems to prevent the, the ransomware from spreading laterally, even without command and control in place. There are ransomware strains out there that will automatically look for open shares and CVEs, and they know how to exploit them automatically. So you want to prevent them from spreading to other systems. Shutting down all the systems, shutting down all the communications is probably the first measure that you should contemplate. And another tip here is don't try to fix your servers, please. Okay, and this is not me insulting anybody's abilities. Yes, I know there's people out there that absolutely could probably remove everything if they looked deep enough, but there's no guarantee and they're really high, good at hiding things. You cannot trust the Linux installation anymore. There, there's no possibility of that. Do not trust it. It needs to be deleted. The only reason I can think of to keep it around is if you're doing some kind of post-mortem you know, look in a 
you know, contained environment where there's no network connection to anything and it's powered on and it's isolated if that's something that uh, you want to do, if you're responsible enough to do that. But don't try to go in there and remove everything and then put it back into production without uh, redeploying the entire thing. I, I know that's a lot of work, but it's a lot more work when you think you've you've actually got this cleaned out and everything's fine for a few weeks. Maybe there's a timer in the background where it kind of just rests for a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, later, a month later, it comes back. You never really know. These things can hook in there deep and it could be really hard to find. So don't, don't re, uh, try to fix your systems, just rebuild them. Yeah, absolutely. But there are a couple of steps there in between. First, absolutely, you do not trust those systems anymore. As a matter of fact, you don't trust any system at this point. You don't know yet what systems have been infected or not. So assume all of them are infected. You just haven't seen the message yet or are in the process of being infected. That's one of the reasons why you shut them down. Um, actually, CISA, and this will probably be linked in one of the, um, of the documents with the, the podcast, um, they actually just tell you to, to cut off communications and preserve the systems as they are right now. From my experience, it's probably better to shut them all down and then move from there. But again, that's a different take from the CISA guidance. You, your mileage may vary. You might want to follow their guidance instead. For me personally, as the moment the, we notice that there's a ransomware infected in a system, everything gets shut down. And get ready for a few weeks of work. This isn't something that's going to be solved by noon or at the end of the day or tomorrow. You're probably looking for a mid-sized environment, a couple of hundred servers, two or three times that in workstations, something like that. This will never be solved before three weeks, a month has passed. So be prepared for a very, very bad couple of weeks there. Um, secondly, and this is one of the reasons why you shouldn't delete the servers immediately and you shouldn't just re-image everything off the bat. Call law enforcement. There is regulations in place for this. If you live in the US, there is now a mandate that you need to report all of these type of incidents to your local authorities and you need to disclose this. Um, so don't just immediately wipe the systems. They will want to look at those systems after you report them. But do report, do what, do notify law enforcement about this. For all you know, they might have already caught their command and control um, systems for this particular strain and they will share the keys with you. Uh, so it's in your best interest also to report this to authorities. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yep. Uh, I was totally going to mention that too. That's a really good point. Um, you really do need to understand the requirements and the laws in your area, the mandates and whatnot. But even if your area doesn't have that, you know, to your point, you, you know, if you re-image a system too soon and a root cause analysis is needed or whatever it is, you can't do it. Um, I've had some people tell me, and I think this is a good idea. I'd be curious what you think of this. Um, in cloud environments, and I'll use AWS as an example of this, um, and some people don't know this, it's really easy to create a new AWS account. You can even link them together and switch between them. But what people may not realize is that a really good use for this is to have your logging in a completely different cloud provider account than production. That is That this account is only for logging and the two can't talk to each other. There's gonna to need to be a, a logging mechanism to get the data over there. So, I mean, there's still gonna be a risk, but um, having the logging server outside of your cloud environment is always a good idea because, you know, these cloud providers just make this easy to set up another account and they'll happily take your money if you set up another account and put a server on there or whatever it is. Um, and, and that's just gonna help 
potentially help, I should say, with the root cause analysis. You could go a step further, and if you have an um, entire log system like Greylog, and there's a number of others, I'm not saying everyone should use Greylog, but I'm just giving you an example of something that exists. And, the, and check out the uh, competition as well. Um, and some of these can actually help you understand, uh, based on the um, logging that it does and the parsing of those logs, where someone was, where they went to. And you can't use it necessarily as the end-all be-all source of truth here, but it can give you an idea of, you know, some of the order in which this happened and give you that idea about what the uh, whole thing was like and how it played out. That could be very useful, but um, if you can retain logs, those logs can be very, very useful. So definitely try to retain those if you can. When you're doing the analysis, one of the things that your logs will help you is, for example, spotting if any of the servers that got infected actually had an abnormal traffic on the days prior to the infection. That will give you a hint if any data was exfiltrated or not before the systems got locked so that you know if there is an additional threat that you need to deal with. And this has compliance implications. So not only are your systems infected, not only are there the, the systems inaccessible, you need to understand if any data was stolen and moved out of, of your systems. Um, for stuff like GDPR, for stuff like data protection laws, this is important stuff that you need to identify and you need to know. Um, if you don't have the expertise to, to do this type of operation and to properly deal with this, get outside help. This is the moment when you should get outside help in to help you with this. Who knows, a fresh set of eyes might help you spot something that you don't. Um, so again, get contractors to, to help you do this. Um, Another place where you can get help if you have a cloud provider, get in touch with their with their with their teams. The, the cloud providers will help you in this type of situations. Reach out to them. At, at the end of the day, if they don't help you out, all you wasted was an email or a phone call. So try to reach out to your cloud providers more than likely they will help you out with this. At the very least, they will have backups of their own systems. They might have access to logs that you don't directly. They might spot any abnormal traffic that occurred and they might provide you that information directly. So reach out to those guys. They will usually help you out. That is so true. I had a, a lot of good experiences when I worked with AWS, working with their support. Anytime I had to call them, um, they, they seemed like they were really on top of things and um, helped me out. I, I don't Personally speaking, I never had any complaints there. They were very helpful and very pleasant to talk to. And sometimes you'll learn something about your cloud provider that you may not have known. Um, I had this, and this, is, this isn't really a big problem because this is just a test server in every sense of the word, in my case, because it was just something I wanted to use for a few minutes to record a video. And I, I remember I, I had all of this rehearsed. I had the notes and the commands. I just needed to pull the history. And um, I accidentally deleted the server. And, uh, you know, we all make mistakes. And, and yes, that wasn't, you know, a malware or ransomware issue here. But what I discovered after contacting support, in this case, Linode, I was just curious. I thought for sure there was no way around this. Like I deleted it, it's gone. Okay, backups go away, snapshots go away, it's all gone. But what I found out was that for a finite amount of time, I don't know if it was 12 hours, 24 hours, there is a way to undo that. And I'm not telling you to rely on this, okay? Um, you should never rely on this. But definitely call your cloud provider because if there's a feature like that that exists or some kind of feature you may not be aware of, 
you know, hopefully your cloud provider is aware of their own platform and they can instruct you on what to do. And to your point, that's a, a very important call to make. So another tip, and this is kind of reminding me of, me of this, is don't be a superhero. Don't be a vigilante. I think that's a better way to say this. Don't be overconfident. Don't try to fix this yourself. Um, you know, you someone might have the mindset hypothetically like, oh, I'll just, I'm going to, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to fix this and then let my manager know that there's a problem, but I saved the day. No, no, don't. Pull the power cord, drop the system, get it off the network. First thing. Second thing you should do is walk right into your manager's office and let them know what you did. Let them know why you did it and what the suspicion is. Uh, make sure they're the first people that are aware of this, your management team. So that way they don't have people um, pounding on their door. What's going on? Why is the system down? Like they should be the first person you contact along with uh, law enforcement after you drop the system. But don't try to take this upon yourself and think that you're going to have some job security by fixing it by yourself. It's going to backfire, especially with ransomware. It's going to backfire. Um, and there's no reason to do this on your own. As you're saying, I mean, there's weeks of work potentially here. Um, do you want to do weeks of work by yourself? No. Get your team involved. Communication is key. You're all in this together and make sure everybody's on the same page and everybody's working towards the same goal. And communication is just super important. Be prepared. This will reach all the way up to the CEO level here. This is the type of incident that affects the whole company. Everybody's job, whatever they do daily, is going to be affected by this. So everybody will have to know. Everybody will try to pitch in at some time. Everybody will put some pressure into getting everything back up again. This stuff takes time. And if you rush it, you're going to miss infected systems and you're just going to have the same stuff happening a week after this. So you want to do it properly. You want to take your time to make sure that everything is cleaned or re-imaged properly, that you, no traces are left. So to start this, you need to identify all the affected systems, all the servers, all the workstations, all the IoT devices, anything that has a CPU running stuff and is connected to the network, you need to check to make sure that it's clean. Um, this is probably the most important step here. Do not skip this. Um, you have everything down, try to bring systems up one by one, get your team on the process, go over every single system, make sure that they're clean, or at the very least, try to identify the ones that are already fully encrypted. Pay attention that you might have interrupted some systems midway through the encryption. So they might have some files encrypted and not all of them. They might not yet be showing the, the, the message on the desktop, but they might already have data lost there. So don't just look for that message on the screen. Try to look for the last modified files and for weird extensions that by now you should have identified as being the ransomware. Um, so look for those extensions in the systems and don't just assume that they are not infected just because they are not displaying the message yet. It takes some time before a ransomware infection on a system actually gets to the message on the screen. First, they will go through the data, they will encrypt the files, and only then will they let themselves be, be seen. And that, that's so key, because there, there's just no benefit to show you the message first. There's no honor. Right, and that that just be like, hey, I'm here. I'm about to encrypt your files, by the way. Just hope you don't yeah. mind. I'm gonna go do that real quick while you look at this message. No, um, it's already happening at that point. Probably your shadow copies were hit first if you're on Windows, and then everything else afterwards. Um, so yeah, to your point, that is a, a very good point here. And um, speaking in terms of communication, uh, when this, if you work in a really big company, you're going to meet a lot of people. 
if this happens. You're going to talk to employees and coworkers that you probably never had a chance to talk to yet because they're all going to want to be the one to let you know that there's a systems issue. Every single one um, isn't aware of the other pe person that may have already told you about it and you probably already knew about it before anyone else did. Um, so what I've seen companies do, and I think this is pretty smart because usually you know how to reach your employees and, and your coworkers. Um, for example, I, I, I've seen a company have an issue and at this particular company, everybody uses Jira, not just the developers in this company, like everybody, even HR is using it, accounting is using it, um, customer service is using it. They're very Jira focused. So um, they put a banner right into Jira on the top of the um, screen there saying, yes, we are aware there's a problem, assuming your Jira server isn't one of the ones that you have to take down. But the, the point is, um, the, every company has a culture and usually they know how to get the message out. So. Um, just make sure you do that. Otherwise, your phone will never stop ringing and people will never stop knocking on your door. And it's really hard to figure out what to do in a situation like this when you have all those distractions. So after you do the things we mentioned, because what I just mentioned is not top of the list, obviously, but definitely do it. So that way you at least clear the lines of communication um, between you and the people that are trying to fix this. And everybody files are more important than everybody else's, right? So their systems have to be recovered first. Be prepared to hear that a lot. Everybody will say it. Um, going back to your point about communication, fire up a server clean from a completely clean state just to fire up a new website, just to let your customers and your partners or whatever, something that's public facing, just with a message that, like the old TV channels used to have, we're experiencing difficulties, we'll be right back or something like that, until you have a proper assessment of the scope of this. So let everybody know that you're experiencing problems, and you are, um, depending on what you do, on the compliance regulations, on the requirements of your specific um, industry. You might need to put out some press release, so get your people in, in line with this. Make sure that you're prepared to explain briefly what happened so that they have some message to put out there. Say we have a, an, at this point, we have experienced an issue with some of our servers. We haven't ascertained any data being stolen yet or being accessed improperly. We are looking into the, the issue. This will take some time. Just get that message out there. This is important. This makes this deals with expectations on your customers and on the public, on everybody else that's looking in. This is really, really important in a situation like this. Should be one of your first things as well. Again, dealing with communication, this is just another aspect of communicating the problem. And another um, way to do this for some people, if your organization utilizes a cloud provider, if you're on the cloud, Many of these providers give you access to something called object storage, and you can just create an HTML file and drop it in there. And it, you can make this particular bu bucket public because it's just that one HTML file and then switch your DNS over to it. And that could be faster than even installing Apache for some people or Nginx or whatever your flavor is. Um, and some people may not know that this is possible, but many cloud providers will absolutely let you um, point the DNS record to your website to object storage, if there's an index file in there, then you know it might not be the prettiest thing in the world, but at least you get it out there and people are aware of it. Um, hopefully organizations have a, uh, a system in place for this, but if you don't, that's a pretty easy way to, to get the message out there quickly. Assuming your time to live isn't set to something ridiculous in DNS. Yeah, <laughs> like a week. Um, another interesting thing, you might not remember this, but your own workstation might have been infected and you haven't been aware of it yet. 
take your own systems down, use a, repair, a replacement laptop or something to do all these operations. You don't know yet if your systems are clean or not. Um, again, assume the worst, assume everything is infected and start from there. Um, in addition to finding out which systems are, are actually affected or not, you also need to understand which data has been um, affected by this or not. You need to identify the databases that have that might have been encrypted. You need to identify the, the file storage areas that have been hit, um, company-wide shares, um, cloud storage that might have been impacted. Look at all of these and identify the things that have been lost or are inaccessible at this point. Again, this will help you in two things. It will let you know what stuff you need to pull from backups and what stuff you need to communicate to your customers if you identify the data from the customers has been lost or has been breached or has been copied outside of your systems. Um, you can only know that when you look at the logs of those systems, when you go through the logging that should be separate and hasn't been encrypted yet, hopefully. And, and you can and this is important information that is going to help you and it's going to help law enforcement as well. Yeah. Yeah. Again, communication is just the key to everything. Um, don't obviously don't draft your own, you know, communication, get it blessed by management. Don't, don't just, you know, again, don't take everything on yourself. I know sometimes the pressures of the job can make you feel like it, it's, you know, um, there's a lot of pressure there, but um, don't, don't, panic and just do something like that. Just say, this is the message I want to send. Is it good? Do you agree? Are you cool with this? All right, I'll just put it up there now. Um, you know, just make sure you have buy-in for every decision that's made because any one wrong decision can literally give everyone else a, a, a bit higher of a, or actually a lot higher of a workload, which you don't want to make it worse than it is. So just make sure that communication line is open. Um, you know, rent the uh, meeting room for the day or, or for the week or month or whatever. Make sure that you have that and you're all in there working together on this um, because I feel like um, it, it's one thing if you feel like you work really hard, but you don't want to work, be the only one doing anything. Just, just um, you know, everybody involved wants this to end. Everybody wants to be able to go home and, you know, enjoy time with family or whatever it is they do after hours. And um, the faster people are going to get back to the new normal is dependent upon, you know, how well this is handled, the communication and everything, because everyone has the same goal, right? They, they just want to go back to normal and, and go back to their normal workday. If there's ever an all hands on deck situation, this is it. Um, so if you have people that are not working because they're on holidays or anything, give them a ring. You're probably going to want them to come back to, to work. Um, yeah, and again, manage expectations. By this time, by the time that you actually have a list of all the affected systems, a couple of days have already passed, two or three days at least, depending on the size of your environment. Uh, so this will not be solved in a day. This will not be solved in a week. This will not be solved in a couple of weeks. This will take time and it's normal for it to take time. You need to take time to do it properly. Again, this is the last thing that you want to rush. If you bring all of your systems back from backups and you get everything back up again and the week after it happens again, it's even worse. It's worse for the company's image. It's worse for your reputation on the job. It's worse for everybody, everybody in the company. So do not rush this. It's better to take your time. I mean, we've reported 
multiple times on situations where this happens to other companies. And we've talked about this on previous podcast episodes. And we're looking at very large companies like the Kronos Group last year, two years now in December on Lock4J. They had downtime of over three weeks to get their systems back online. This is the standard, more or less. Three weeks, a month, two weeks, if it's smaller, something like that. It's not going to be less than that. So again, try to manage the expectations of everybody around you and your own expectations. So don't just imagine that you're doing a poor job if you're taking too long to fix the issue. That's how it happens. And people have to know that this is how long it's going to take. Again, your PR people, if you have them in the company, they are going to be massively helpful with this situation. They will get the message out there to your customers so that you don't lose them and that you retain some trust from them and that you're that you give the impression that you're actually on top of things and you are um, but you need to communicate that it's not just trying to get and scrambling to make sure that stuff is back online just to be online and then repeating the, the issue a few days afterwards um, really helpful if you get your pr team with you absolutely agree and uh, especially don't over promise to your customers because you know, their mindset, they don't understand this stuff. You know, their mindset is, you know, we're paying you for whatever it is you do. Um, do the thing we're paying you. What's the problem? Like, get it done. Like, like I want my service back. You know, that's, that's, that, that's basically what especially customer service is going to hear. And it's, um, and you don't want to basically put out a message. Oh, we'll have everything up in a week. You probably won't. Don't, don't promise anything because you're under a magnifying glass, a microscope at this point, and people are watching you, right? So there's several things that'll absolutely, ta uh, you know, tank your reputation even more. I mean, it's already bad enough if this happens, but if you don't tell anyone for a long time, I mean, not only is that likely against the law, but it also makes you, makes your company look incompetent. And I'm sorry to say that, but um, people want to know that you're not only following the law, but that, you know, you're reporting what's going on, that you're a good steward of whatever it is you do, that you're responsible and you're taking ownership of this and you're letting the, the stakeholders know that there's something going on and you're looking at this. Uh, but that just goes right back to communication. You know, it's effective communication. It's not just checking the box. Hey, I communicated. Um, think it through. Understand what messages that, you know, you're sending out there. Don't, don't, you know, scream, the sky is falling. Oh my gosh, we got hacked by this this hacking group that's in the news. You don't know who did it. It, it. it could even be someone, like you said, that just, you know, purchased something where they just put in a few values in a thing and it's just a template and then they just execute it because they didn't get their return um, back fast enough. You never know. Just don't make any assumptions. Just this is what we know. We're looking into it. We will let you know as soon as we know more. But yeah, just letting you know there's something going on and we're taking a look into it. And that's basically the, the first thing you should do there. And don't over-exaggerate, don't over-promise. Yeah. So by now you should have identified the, the ransomware. And one of the things that you should look for after identifying all the systems that are infected and all of that in parallel with that, is see if there is already some published decryptor for your specific malware infection. Sometimes there are, there are multiple decryptors out there already for multiple different ransomwares. Um, you might be lucky. It might have already been caught in the past, the guys behind it, the command and control, it might already have been reverse engineered or something. There may already be decryptors. So there is still the opportunity for a decryptor to be found and to be applied to your systems. With the, the expectation that the decryption process takes a long time. 
So it doesn't, you don't just flip a switch or execute a file and everything is back to normal. You start decrypting a system, it will go through the files, it will decrypt the files, but it will take a long time to do that. You can look at hours or even days for a single system to, to go back. Again, expectations. You need to manage the expectations. If you're lucky enough to find a decryptor, prioritize the systems. Um, identify the ones that need to go back up immediately. Start with those. Make sure that those are back up again and that you can access the files again correctly. If you have a decryptor, it's not so much an urgency in actually finding all of the infected systems because you'll eventually be able to bring them back anyway. But that's only if it's such a decryptor already exists or not. Um, if it doesn't, then you need to go and look at the backups. Um, ideally, you want to create a separate environment, completely separate from your existing systems. By now, some of them will already be back up again because you haven't found anything on them yet. It doesn't mean they're clean. It just means that you haven't found anything on them. But you don't want the old systems and the new systems to be in the exactly the same environment. You might have to start replicating stuff and you might have to start recovering backups to that new environment that's completely segregated from the other. It's also important that at this time you have already a clear idea of how the malware infection got in. You have properly identified the, the infection vector here. Um, you have identified how it moved laterally from system to system. You should have some idea of this. If you don't have the knowledge to identify this, this is where law enforcement and outside contractors also can help you with. Um, but it, you really need to find that information. And sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes the systems have been encrypted, the logs have been encrypted, you don't have the backups available, so it's really tricky to find that information. And then you're even in more trouble. So you're going to get your systems back up again from backups which you don't know are clean or not because you haven't correctly identified the point of entry. You don't know at which instant in time it happened. So you don't know if it's the backups from yesterday or from 10 days ago that are good to go or not. And that's an important thing that you need to identify. Completely agree. So the last thing I'm going to say on my end in, on this topic is that this episode is not the end-all, be-all resource. This is a foundational episode here. So we're going to continue talking about this because this topic is so huge. I feel like we could probably get four or five additional episodes out of this. But um, in, in, for the most part, it's more of a summary, foundational thing to point people back to. And, you know, listeners can listen to this first if they're, you know, researching this. And then as things go on, we will report on new tools that might come out. Or even if there's a weakness in, a, in the crypto used for one of these and there's a tool available, we'll, you know, let people know as things come across our radar. So this is a developing topic because... You know, the, the threat actors don't get to a point, yep, it's good, I'm not going to um, iterate on this process anymore because it's perfect. No, I mean, it's they're always iterating. The um, hackers on our side are always iterating on how they solve these problems. And, um, you know, it's an ongoing thing. But, the, you know, this is a foundational episode and we'll continue to report on this as we discover new and new strategies and situations. Totally agree. I just want to... To leave you with an, with the last notice here as well. Um, after you start getting your systems back up again and stuff starts going back to normal again, this is probably the best opportunity you're ever going to have to retrain your people with a focus on cybersecurity. This is when people will be more attentive to cybersecurity issues. Is when they will be paying attention during training. 
So this is probably the right time when you set up those sessions to explain phishing, to explain safe browsing, to explain how they should not bring outside devices to the network. This is actually the right moment. You'll get buy-in from everybody in management, you'll get people's attention immediately, and you have an example that you can point back to towards a, a bad practice that should not have happened. Um, so do use this opportunity as a learning experience and do use this opportunity to get the, the cybersecurity knowledge level up in your company. It's perfect. I don't think anyone, at least I don't think anyone's going to complain if you say, um, or if they're, they're complaining about a security practice and you say, remember that time a year ago where we couldn't work for four weeks and everyone was stressed out? Yeah, we're trying to prevent that. Oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> you know, at that point, nobody wants to go through that again because um, it affects everybody, you know, so that that's not something anyone wants to go through. Or if they have been through it, they especially don't want to go through that again. Believe me, I have seen this and I've been through not ransomware, long story, something, um, you know, equally egregious for the time period. It's um, you're not going to forget it. <laughs> Absolutely not. This is one of those career defining moments for somebody in IT. You will always remember this type of this type of events. Um, if for nothing else, for just for the pressure alone that you feel during these times. Um, and I guess we can wrap it by here. This is getting long anyway. Uh, like you said, yep. we could we could stretch this out over multiple episodes. We just brush the surface and barely at it. Um, still, we tried to, to give you some useful advice, stuff that we have already either used ourselves in the field in the past or just learn from experience from fellow workers in IT. Um, keep some of these tips in mind, if nothing else. And again, thank you everybody for listening. It was a pleasure. And until the next one. Bye. See you later. Bye.